My name is Johnny Brower. I serve as one of the pastors here up in the student ministries. So I am the student ministries pastor, and I want to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, I especially want to welcome you if this is your very first time here. Uh, I would like to ins- extend an invitation for you to join us back at the connecting point immediately following the service. That way we can um, greet you and, and share some things with you and help you in any way we can resource you um, if that is needed. Um, so good to be in worship with you this morning. Um, I am not Pastor Mike. Um, I am not quite as handsome. Um, and I have too much hair. <clears throat> But I, I am humbled um, to be asked to come and share with you this morning to um, try as I may to, to fill those shoes um, that Mike has. And so it is just a joy for me to be in worship with you this morning. A couple of things before we get going that I would like to ask of you. Uh, you received on the way in a bulletin. If you would look on the back of that bulletin, there you will find some blank lines and the word notes at the top. Uh, this is for notes. Um, so if anything speaks to your heart this morning, whether it was a song lyric or one of our scripture readings or, or maybe one of my notes uh, from the screen, I invite you to write that down there. This is a great place for you to not only reflect the rest of the day, but to keep that throughout the week the way God speaks to you this morning. The second thing is I would like you to notice at the bottom of that page, there's a website, www.growpraystudy.org. If you would please visit that website at some point uh, in your life and take a look there. We have these daily devotionals that we uh, produce in-house. Some volunteers and our pastors write these each and every week to coincide with our scripture series. It is a wonderful way to boost your devotional life um, if that's something that you've been looking for. It can be five minutes, it can be 50 minutes in any way uh, that you choose to use it. Some of you have already been using it and it has been blessing your life. You can go there and you can see each one of the daily readings. You could also subscribe and have each of the daily readings sent to, directly to your inbox or If that's not your thing, um, around the building you will find these blue signs that say GPS on them and you can find a paper version with the whole week's readings on it. I invite you to take that if you're not already receiving it. And the last thing is this. If you will take your Bible and open it up, whatever form you brought your Bible today, whether it's on your phone, whether it's the pew back there, um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 um, for our scriptures this morning. just a little hint that's near the back of the Bible if you've, if you've never been in it before. Um, I, hope you, uh, <clears throat> I hope you do that. That way, whenever we get to the scripture readings, you're already prepared to see it there. So we are in the fifth and final week of our series called The Gospel According to Disney. It's been a particularly fun series for me. Um, I grew up watching and loving Disney movies. I I really did love them, and honestly, I still love them today. Even as a 31-year-old man, I I thoroughly enjoy getting to sit down and watch Disney movies with my son, uh, whether it's the the latest movies that have come out or it's the ones that I used to watch when I was a kid. And, And most of the time, I feel like I'm really enjoying them more than he does. Now... I know not everyone in the world uh, feels the same way I do about Disney. And it's okay if you don't like Disney or if you don't get it or, or if you're kind of indifferent to, to Disney because the point of this series is not to sell you on the wonderful world of Disney. That's not why we chose to do this. But it is hard to deny the success of the highest ranking entertainment company on the Fortune 500 list, sitting currently at number 61. And they didn't get there simply because they're cute or because they're funny. 
They got there because Disney tells compelling stories. They tell stories that resonate with us. Stories of wonder and whimsy that that speak to the child in all of us. But most importantly, they are stories that speak to our human condition. Stories of brokenness and rejection. Stories of loss and lament. Stories of struggles and setbacks. Stories of characters longing for restoration and redemption. And they're familiar stories because there are stories too. Maybe that's why they're so compelling. And because of this human condition, because of the stories that we live into, that's why we have Jesus. Jesus' life was one of redemption. Jesus' life was a direct response to our human condition. Think of it that way. The gospel is God's direct response to the human condition. To become flesh and blood, to become human, to heal what was hurting, to mend what was broken, and to restore and redeem that which had gone astray. That is the gospel, and that's God's response to our human condition. And the story God told through the life of Jesus, the story of redemption, is evident in many of the Disney stories, whether they meant to do it or not. It's there. So with that, we're going to take a look at our final Disney film of this series, which also happens to be the latest full-length release called Frozen. Since its release, Frozen has earned $1.2 billion, B billion dollars worldwide, becoming the fifth highest grossing film of all time and by by far the highest grossing animated film of all time. Not to mention a Golden Globe and two Academy Awards, one for Best Animated Feature and one for Best Original Song, um, Let It Go, which you saw pre-service sung in many different characters' voices up there. Probably the greatest accolade uh, is present in the voices of children, parents, grandparents, and countless YouTube videos. Everywhere you go, people can be heard singing the songs from the award-winning soundtrack. Many people who haven't even seen the movie know the songs, and they like them. The story itself was inspired by Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale called The Snow Queen. Frozen tells the story of a fearless princess who sets off on an epic journey alongside a rugged mountain man, his loyal pet reindeer, and a hapless snowman to find her estranged sister, whose icy powers have inadvertently trapped the kingdom in an eternal winter. Elsa, the eldest daughter, has the ability to produce snow, ice, and frost at will. One night when they were both young, Elsa accidentally injures her sister Anna, with her powers while they were playing. Fearing what others might think, the king and the queen keep the girls both confined to the castle to protect them, and Elsa keeps herself locked in her room for fear that she may injure her sister again. When both of their parents die in a tragic accident, the girls leave the castle and prepare for Elsa's coronation. While out, Anna meets a handsome prince named Hans, and the two are immediately in love. Despite Elsa's fears, the coronation goes well. But later, at the reception, when Elsa learns of Anna's sudden engagement to Hans, the two sisters argue, and Elsa's powers are inadvertently exposed. Panicking and fearful, Elsa flees the castle. She runs away as an eternal winter is unleashed upon the kingdom. 
She builds an ice castle with her powers in a remote location to keep herself insulated and isolated from everyone. Anna sets out to find her sister so she can bring her back in the winter and repair their relationship. And along the way, she meets a mountain man named Kristoff and his reindeer, Sven. They also team up with a snowman named Olaf. Eventually, Anna finds Elsa and tries to convince her to come back, but Elsa still fears hurting her sister and rejection of the people of the kingdom. When Anna persists in persuading her sister to return, Elsa becomes agitated and her powers lash out, accidentally striking Anna in the heart. Horrified at what had just taken place, Elsa sends them all away. Now, in an effort to speed things up, I'm going to hurry through the rest of the story because I feel like you're kind of getting the point. The only way to thaw Anna's frozen heart is through an act of true love. But if they don't hurry, Anna's condition will be irreversible and she will die. All of the characters, and the viewers too, assume that this must mean that Anna should get back to Prince Hans so that he can kiss her and save her. It turns out that Hans isn't the best dude in the world. And Anna realizes it was Kristoff that she was actually in love with. And in the final climactic scene of the movie, Anna, with, her, with the last of her energy, is trying to get to Kristoff so that they can kiss and her heart can be thawed. Anna notices Hans trying to kill Elsa and decides to run to help instead of saving herself. Anna lunges in between Hans's sword and a helpless Elsa just as she turns into a block of ice. The sword shatters and Elsa is saved, but Anna is frozen. But soon, spoiler alert, Anna thaws out. As it turns out, saving her sister was the act of true love after all. The endless winter ends. Anna and Elsa reconcile, and they both live happily ever after. Now, this truly is a fantastic story, and so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, even though I just kind of ruined it for you. I love the depiction of true and perfect love in this movie, because too often, especially in our fairy tales, true love is romantic in nature and is culminated with a prince and a princess finally getting to kiss. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of love. But Frozen defines love, true love, perfect love, much like our scriptures do. And it's culminated in an act of unconditional and sacrificial love. And it's in that act of unconditional and sacrificial love that Anna's heart is warmed and Elsa's fears are cast out. The Apostle John writes in his first letter a soaring sermon that proclaims such a love as displayed by our Creator God. You'll find that in 1 John, and we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear is paralyzing. When I was a kid, I played Little League Baseball. And in one of my very first at-bats, in my very first game, I got hit square in the head. It's okay to laugh at that. 
It scared me really bad. And looking back, I know the ball was going extra slow. We were children. (laughs) But it felt like it was going 100 miles an hour. And I was wearing a helmet that was probably three times too big for my head. And it didn't really hurt, but it scared me. And from that point on, every time I entered the batter's box, I was afraid. And I never, literally never, swung the bat. I must have been that kid that nobody really wanted on their team. I would literally get up to the plate and just stand there. Turns out my on-base percentage was still pretty good because it's hard for little kids to throw strikes consistently. (laughs) But it didn't matter how often I was walked, how fast I was, or how many times I crossed the plate, I felt like a failure. And with each inactive at-bat, the pressure grew, and so did my fear. A few years pass, and I find myself uh, still playing Little League Baseball. I don't know why. I was terrified, but I was still playing. And I was in the final out of the final inning of our final game of the season. My teammate ahead of me walked, and I was up with a chance to win the game for us. I walked out with my head low because I was the worst person to try to win the game for us. Nobody should have put their hope in me, and my fear was at its worst. I stand in the batter's box, and one pitch screams by, strike one. I reset my feet, hoping the ball would just somehow magically start slipping out of the pitcher's hands and maybe hit me in the head again or, or walk me. That way the pressure wouldn't be on me and everybody wouldn't be hoping in me to, to win the game. Strike two, the umpire yells. At that moment, I step out of the batter's box and I take a deep breath. I look behind me. Now, I grew up in a small town, so our our baseball diamonds were not the greatest. It was a field with some bags out there. And I look through the chain link fence at the small little bleachers back there. And I see my mother anxiously biting her lip. And she nervously yells out, Johnny, if you get a hit, we can get a pizza on the way home. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but it is one of my favorite memories, and I will remember it forever, and here's why. I turned back and I stepped into the batter's box. I ground my cleats into the dirt. I gripped my bat so tight, and I curled my lip up ever so slightly. The pitcher wound up and released the ball. I felt a rush of adrenaline surge through my body as I closed my eyes and I swung as hard as I could. Strike three. You're out. (laughs) I missed. And we lost. The game was over. The season was over. And as I walked off the field, dragging my bat behind me, I glanced up at my mom And she had the biggest smile on her face. She hugged me tight and said, I am so proud of you. And it was in that moment that I understood that my mom's love was not determined by my performance on the field. But she loved me simply because I was her son. The following season, with a newfound confidence that came from knowing that I was loved and accepted no matter what, 
my fears were gone. And I stepped up to the batter's box, into the batter's box with confidence. And I led my team in batting average that next season. I was actually second or third in the league. And it wasn't because all of a sudden I was really good at baseball. It's because my fears were gone. And I was able to step up and do what I was called to do in that moment. We live much of our lives earning grades, paychecks, rewards points. It's ingrained in us that our value and our worth and our level of acceptance is predicated on our performance. And that's a logical thing. You get good grades for good papers, bad grades on bad papers. You get promotions when you're a good employee and you get fired when you're not. But the trouble is that we have a tendency to project the same performance reward system onto God. And that somehow his love is given to us only when we live up to a certain standard. We fear that if we don't pray enough or read scripture enough that God might withhold his love from us. We fear that because we may have made some mistakes in our past or in our presence that God can't love us quite as much as he loves others. If He can love us at all. We fear that because we don't have all the right answers, and because sometimes we doubt, and sometimes we can't find the scripture passage in our Bible without looking at the table of contents, that somehow we are kept from God's love. But fear not, for perfect love casts out fear. John writes earlier in that chapter, He describes that perfect love. He says, this is love, verse 10 of chapter 4. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Apostle Paul writes it this way, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no possible way for us to earn what has already been given to us, free of charge, long before we even existed. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, would call that provenient grace. It's a grace and a love that comes before. It comes before we can do anything to try to earn it. It is not predicated on anything other than the fact that our God is good. Amen? And this love, this acceptance, gives us the freedom and the confidence to live into that life that he has called us into. It calls us forward to let go of our fear and grab hold of redemption. Now, as we we think about this story in Frozen, we have two characters that we can really reflect on. And I believe two characters that we can really find ourselves in in their shoes. Maybe today you find yourself in Elsa's shoes. You're afraid. You came to church today or you're watching online and you feel like you don't belong. Maybe it's because of your past. Maybe it's because of your present. But for some reason, you feel a fear that is keeping you from taking the next step. A fear that says you don't belong in this place and a fear that says somehow everybody else knows it. If you remember nothing else today, I want you to remember this, that God loves you. It's a very simple message, but it's a very profound message that God 
loves you. He always has. And he has proved it through the character of Christ. And this is the perfect love that casts out fear and sets you free because it has already been given to you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you have or have not done. God loves you. Maybe today you find yourself in honest shoes. You've experienced this incredible love and grace that has proved itself before it could be deserved. Not that you're perfect now, but you know the freedom that comes from that love. You are now called forth to share that same grace with others. You are called to be a visible representation of an invisible God, a visible representation of that perfected love that casts out fear. John's letter goes on, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, if we sacrifice unconditionally, unconditionally for one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Those of you finding yourself in honest shoes, remember there's a lot of fear in this world. There's a lot of fear out there's a lot of fear in this room. Fear of measuring up to the ideal parent, the ideal spouse, the ideal employee, the ideal grandparent the ideal Christian. There's a lot of fear in this world. And your calling as a follower of Christ is to cast out that fear. To bring hope and freedom to a world that desperately needs the good news that God loves them. To embody the character of Christ Christ, whose life was about redemption, whose death was about redemption, whose resurrection was about redemption. A life of redemption that we are called to live. A life that casts out fear. To embody the character of Christ and make our lives ones of redemption, just as he did. And in so doing, we become one with God and perfected in his love. Let us pray. Great God above, eternal and merciful God, you are great and mighty and your love is endless and abundant. And we thank you this morning, God, for that love that you have extended so graciously to each and every one of us. May we leave this place, God, with the confidence that we are called to do your good work, the work of your son, Jesus, God, the work of redeeming this world, the work of casting out fears in your name. God, we pray that as we do this, That lives are changed, lives are redeemed, lives are restored, God. That people are drawn nearer to you. That your glory shines through us so that all may see 
and know that you are our good God. We thank you for that love. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.